0: welcome to boot the voice of the bootstrap network the bootstrap network serves entrepreneurs around the globe the ideas are great you get them everywhere you're talking with everybody you get ideas for services ideas for things the question is who's going to buy it do that afterwards. (laughs) It's a calibration of success. And you don't do it beforehand. It feeds the ego in the wrong way. Um, Ideation group. Uh, So you guys are trying to discover what you want to do. Is that it? Would that be the essential, kind of hit the quintessential point? Well... Oh, I know I, I, I appreciate the the pathway, but I just want to make sure that I, I had read this right because, um, as usual, I prepared in my careful and dexterous way. So written on the back of a matchbook around here, somewhere is my pitch, and I have no idea where that went to. Uh, I think one of the reasons that Bajoy asked me to do this is um, a lot of people think I'm an idea type of person. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I've never quite understood what that means. I do have 45 patents. Um, I've started uh, six businesses and um, uh, I've done the things that you want to do. Uh, I've always started bootstrap out of the garage. Uh, I find that a, a more fun way to do things. <clears throat> and uh, I have a kind of a set of rules that I work by uh, as I mature an idea. Um, and. and let me kind of suggest some of them so it might help you get a little better reference. First of all, I don't ever think of anything myself Uh, because I'm a jerk and most of you are somewhere deep inside the equivalent to me. I didn't call you anything but uh, we all have that same kind of problem. Ego gets in the way a whole lot and uh, people tend to get an idea and fall in love with them and the love of that idea blinds them. I find the best people to come up with ideas for me are customers, people who will give me money for the idea if if they have uh, they see a need they perceive something they want to do uh, gosh i don't mind getting in the way of the money flow to do that and creating the delivery process to give that to them now let 's see uh, the project i 'm working on right now uh, is a medical company uh, before that I started a company you see this. There's a building down on 360 in Great Hills called ClearCube. I founded ClearCube, and uh, we did ClearCube out of my garage (coughs) as a startup. um, When I started ClearCube, I actually developed a way to shove HDTV down your telephone cables in your home, and then uh, we realized that uh, I didn't want to go back into that business. Uh, I had helped start a company called Monster Cable. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that. Monster Cable, Um, we mastered um, the ability to take a piece of wire that costs two cents and charge you 650 bucks a meter for it, Uh, is the easiest way to define. (laughs) Uh, At at Monster Cable, we took wire which was given away in hi-fi stores and turned it into a very valuable commodity item that uh, became a profit center in the dealership. And that was only because... um, I and the guy who uh, uh, really started it, Noel Lee, uh, just had watched this going on for years because we're in the hi-fi business, and it seemed like a stupid thing to do, give something away. I mean, you can let people use the bathroom for free, but if you're a four-waller or a retailer, that's about the extent of what you want free. Maybe they water out of the water cooler, but everything else should be paid for. And uh, there was this stuff being given away free, and so we asked the question, how can we turn that into an asset? Um, and then the second question is to the dealers, would you buy this? And, and that sequence prevailed. Um, the company I just started, uh, which is Austin Medical Research, uh, builds a pain relief technology. Um, the pain relief technology um, I had no interest in until someone came to me with an ad. And I looked at the, at the ad and I looked at him and I knew him very well. He worked for me. I paid him 140000 bucks a year, and he was COO of the company. He was a guy that was almost 7 feet tall, weighs around 350 pounds. He's not fat, and he's always in pain because he's big, he's 50 years old, and he wears shoes that you buy from a clown magazine. And it was just, you know, he's an enormous character, and he was always aching. And he walked in with this, ad <clears throat> for some alternative medical device and I looked at him and I looked at the ad and I looked at him and I looked at the ad and I said well here's a guy with a masters uh, and he's got 140k plus income plus uh, uh, the uh, little extra money we give people on the side, what do you call that um, the bonuses, yeah and, <clears throat> and yet he was holding this piece of paper which I would associate with a Birkenstock wearing tree hugging Californian more than I would with a guy here in Texas with, you know, it's very formal. So I saw, opportunity flashed in my mind when I saw that. And uh, that's, that gave me an incentive to, to start another company. Um, ideas are actually easy to find. You know, you find them all the time. Uh, In fact, they come built into you. It's funny, we were just talking about Bacchadel and Escher. Douglas Hofstetter, who wrote the book, has a very interesting theory on how you get ideas, on how you see things. He says, (coughs) that, in essence, the collective of your senses creates a volume of data, of information, which swirls around like a tornado in your head, just around in a circle. And that you, your consciousness, whatever that essence of being self-aware, that cognitive creature that you are, stands outside this swirl and stares into it. And every so often, everything lines up. And when it does, you get an idea. Now, uh, his analogy to that is, do you know what a fugue is? So, method of music where you repeat a simplistic theme regularly. Bach was a master of it, but probably the few that you're most familiar with is Row, Row, Row Your Boat, where you can start singing it. At a certain point, you guys would pick in, and then you guys would come in. Pretty soon, you have these three circles going around of the same phrases, each shifted temporally, 60 to 120 degrees. And in the shift, if, you, if a third party is listening, or a fourth party, because it take three of you to make the noise... If a fourth party is listening, they will hear tonal alignments, which you don't hear because you're a participant, that make a round, a fugue, a, a very, very interesting. So <clears throat> Hofstetter suggests that that's the way our brain works. It's a fugue. All this stuff goes around. is duplicated, replicated. There's 150,000 versions of each thought that you have, and there's this maelstrom, and you sit around, and you look through it, and all of a sudden, tunk, lines up, pattern. That pattern's an idea. You walk away with that and you go do something with it. Um, The good thing about the pattern is that you are in love with it because it came from your head. The bad thing about the pattern is the same. You love it and that's the bad thing about it. Because love is blinding. It's a passion And very quickly you have to leave the passion side of your invention, of your thought, aside, and you've got to begin to focus on the non-passionate side of it is, can I sell this, the mechanics of it. And uh, selling it usually requires that somehow you either explain it to somebody or you, as Edward says, you create a demonstration. Uh, a mental demonstration is just as good in many cases as building something. If you're talking about something that's totally abstract, writing a book, um, maybe uh, doing a website or something along those lines. A little more difficult when I decide I want to build a new kind of atomic rocket motor because I probably have to build the damn thing show anybody that works. <clears throat> but there, th- this, there's this transition from your idea, of course, on down the process. Now, the problem is that people get wrapped up in the idea. You can think about something forever. If you don't get off your and ass and take action, it's all for naught. You will get old and you will die. And the idea will die with you. Um, or it may be a situation where as you get older, the fear intensifies in you. Uh, oh, fear, interesting thing. There's this word, this, this stream that guys like to say, I want you to think outside the box. I hate that. That is the stupidest goddamn words. You know what the box is? It's your personal fear. That's all it is. That's the limitations all of us have in our engage in is we have this personal fear issue. The fear of failure, the fear of looking like a numbness, the fear of, of, doing, of wasting all that they've done before. Well, guess what? In this country, we don't put people in jail for trying things, unless they're blatantly illegal. We don't put people in jail for going broke. So you can't get hurt trying something. But the essence of the argument is that you've got to go out and do something. Sometimes running with idea C, that does, does not the B idea, not the A idea, but the C idea simply because you've moved gives, starts the dynamic, starts the flow, starts the, the process of refining, taking idea grade C can move to B and then become A only when you're doing something but sitting around thinking about it is not going to work because once you've had the idea, you can refine it all you want. Thomas Jefferson used to say, the power of America. Now, you've got to remember this. Guy. First of all, two things about Jefferson. Uh, he formed the patent department, so he was very interested in creative ideas. He was an inventor himself. And he lived in a culture and a society, unlike England, where everybody talked to each other. In America, no one could talk to each other. Gentlemen farmers were isolated on farms and maybe saw each other once a month or or something like that. And Jefferson said the key to the success of the American entrepreneur is the fact that he can take a bad idea and let it germinate into a good one. And the key to that is not telling anybody about the idea. Because when your idea is in a bad stage and people start making comments to you, you start taking it personally. And you you stop the development of the idea. It becomes a social intercourse issue that limits the thought, not the thought itself. So the key in many cases is not to tell anybody about it, but to let it germinate for a little while. Redefine it. Let it go back into the spiral. And as soon as you can, find the person who you think will give you money for it and go talk to them. Because they're the only one that will tell you the truth. Everybody else will lie to you. They don't mean to lie, but they don't know how not to lie because social grace demands that they be uh, they go and cooperate with you in your thought and be happy with it. Oh so that's a great idea. Guy barps over the corner, comes back, says, oh, I think it's wonderful. It's but they won't tell you the truth. A customer will always tell you the truth. You want money for that? Eat a bar, you know, go away. <laughs> On the other hand they might look at and say, Whoa, you know, that solves a problem I have. Oh, geez, just right there tattooed on your forehead is winner. Because from that place you've got a uh, you, from there you can go somewhere. So there is someone that you're interested in talking to, but it's only the customer. Everybody else will try to contribute to it, will try to add to it. Will do positive things, and what, when you got an idea, you're not looking for the positive things. You're looking for the things that say it won't work, because they'll come up and blindside you if you don't address them real early. Um, a friend of mine uh, gave me a call uh, last Monday, and he has an idea, and I, it's for a particular kind of website that does something uh, with people in older in life. And I said, well, I listened to the proposal. I said, well, that's very interesting. So I said, you know who's going to stop this? And he said, oh, nobody. This is great. I said, no, the IRS. He went, huh? Said, so, yeah. Any time you talk about anybody coming close to the end of their life, who has assets in an estate, you begin to step into IRS territory, because in the end, the IRS wants their peace. And in this particular case, this was something that might make the IRS think they wouldn't get everything they want. And I tried to explain to them the IRS are total animals. They don't care about anything but the money, and they'll tear your lungs out, and they'll they'll mess everything up. And they have unlimited amounts of power. They transcend the police. The police have no power. The IRS, (laughs) oh, God, let me tell you. They can do anything they want. They've got judges everywhere who would just say, what do you want? sign here. Don't even look at it. Just let them do it. They can take your money. They can, take you. they can stop your life. They can put you in jail. IRS agents carry guns. These guys can be pretty rude and nasty. So the last people you want to deal with is the IRS. So the point of it was I said, look, you're going to bring the IRS into this equation. This is, becomes a very, very touchy issue. So even though it's a great idea, I would draw, that's, my, that's where I would draw the line, is, is any engagement with a governmental or regulatory agency, you've got to really watch out for it. So otherwise, I thought it was a pretty good idea. Personally, I don't think I'd use it, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that would. He, by the way, is a guy who does things all the time. So this, you know, he's very mature about, oh, okay, well, that's an idea we'll just set aside. Maybe it's time can come later, or maybe we can do something else with it, or maybe it should do what it sounds like it should do, which is die. Ideas are cheap to have. I mean, you get ideas about everything. Each one of you probably can think of four or five things you want to do as a business. Certain ones of those things have romance attached with them. And I mean um, romance in the sense that you personally envision yourself doing this thing, whether it be good for other people or good for your family or good for yourself or whatever good gets developed from it. You have the feeling uh, and you're attached to it and it becomes a romantic issue. And the the most devastating thing is for people to start a company and no customers show up at the door. There used to be a Saturday Night Live skit where a guy had a Scotch tape shop I don't know if any of you ever saw that. Uh, but all he sold, he had a mall store, he was gonna be an entrepreneur, and all he sold was scotch tape. He had 55 different brands of scotch tape and hundreds of different kinds of scotch tape. And of course, no one came in. I mean, they just, scotch tape, please give me a break, a t- scotch tape only store? And, but he, he, through the whole skit, which ran for probably two or three years, <clears throat> was always his passion in this thing, in scotch tape, and the fact that he couldn't get anybody else lit up for it. Uh, when people want a scotch tape, they just went to Walmart or you know, the, the Walco or or someplace. But they would not ever think about going to the the mall, going to a, specifically to a scotch tape store, and then have to make all these decisions about all these different kinds of scotch tape. They just want to stick two things together. So <clears throat> you can you can fall in love with something and wind up destroying yourself in the process. That's the trick. It's how not to destroy yourself. And the answer to that is really kind of simple. You, you grasp an idea, and it has to be rational, and as soon as you can, you've got to find someone who will pay you for it. Maybe not now, maybe not in the versions, but someone who will pay you for it, who, because they will pay you, will offer honest criticism. And that's when you begin to find the flaws in your idea. And each time a flaw comes up, uh, someone says, oh, you, this is wrong, or that's not quite right, that's something you modify the idea to fit that and hopefully, eventually, you'll get to the point where that idea will become passable and you can actually build on it. Or, like it happens at about 98% of the time, you realize, oh, that was no, mm, no, ain't gonna work, and you, you pass on it. Or, it's gonna work in such a slow or low way that you sacrifice your life for it and maybe reach a sustaining level. Maybe, maybe, most likely not in this world, and, um, and it kills you. It kills you emotionally, it can kill you physically. But once you kill somebody emotionally, you know, who cares about the physical part? So <clears throat> getting an idea and running with it is a trick. And each one of you you 're looking inside yourselves and you 're trying to say, "Well gee i would like to I would like to be this person to achieve that. I have to take this idea and find those customers and cause money to flow to come around here it 's brutally simple, and it 's very, very real and it 's simply something you have to do. Um, the other thing is you have to do it you 've got to go out and try you've got to go i 've had uh, Five successful businesses, probably ten failures. Eh, no big deal. Gosh, like I say, they don't shoot you for that. Um, you know, clearly I've done a lot of this, and that's because I've never really had a job. Uh, anyone in their right mind who would hire me, I wouldn't work for. So I'm not the kind of person you want to have around because I push all the time. I push to think. I push to, for you to move. Uh, I have a belief, which. Uh, Joy and I uh, and, and Josh have, have talked about. it, And my belief is that, that evolution in the human being physically is uh, it's happening, but guess what? It takes more than a week. You just don't see it happening very quick. And in fact, none of us can perceive its existence at all. But the human mind is in a state of change. The more we learn and the more we think, The more we're capable of learning, and the more we're capable of thinking, so it's my and I've uh, kind of after all these years of looking at people, I've realized that making decisions, making a decision, is the ultimate achievement of the brain. That's the that's the highest, most powerful thing you can do. Being an academic and having a bunch of degrees, that's nothing. Those guys are chicken shits. There, anyone can sit down and memorize a bunch of crap, and then later regurgitate something uh, that has no value other than being a master's piece paper or doctor's, doctorate, and uh, or in my case, get a patent. Useless things. We've got a bunch of them. Who cares? <clears throat> they don't. Me- they're they're a measure of nothing. Uh, if anything, I would argue that most patents issued in the world are vanity things. Most books written are vanity things. So, the, but the making the decision to do it, now that's a different thing. So, what I find is that people who are in a stalled mode, and this can be kind of brutal, are subhumans in my book. People who are, are making decisions and then acting upon them are spiritually the ascent of Homo sapien, wise man. Wisdom, you know, there's this data stream, data points become information, which become knowledge, which becomes wisdom. And on wisdom you act. Wisdom plus action, or knowledge plus action, equal power. I know Francis Bacon said knowledge is power. That's bullshit. No, knowledge plus action, that's power. Knowledge itself is useless. You can write it on the wall and it can sit there forever. Here's the secret of the universe. Unless someone does something with it, it's... It's useless. So an idea unharvested, untested, unmetalled doesn't have any value. The only time it gains value is when you take action on it and do something. And as I said, in this country we don't put people in jail for doing that kind of a thing and failing. In fact, actually when you fail a few times, I like hiring managers who have been in bankrupt companies. Because I, sm- I figure they can smell the fire real early. Yeah, but after it's happened once, they say, something don't smell here, boss. OK, fine. Then we're all learning something real quick. It sounds the alarms. Uh, nice, happy people who've never had a problem with in a business or in their lives, I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. Because in the end, they don't know. They're just going to hit them by blindside them, and they'll be caught cold. And if I'm involved with them, they'll catch me cold in a tube. So, having the experience of failed, that's right, failing and coming back, making that decision, which is a decision about the complete rerouting of your life, make your first business, that decision's simple to make, because you don't know anything about and getting beat up and killed in the process. That decision's made naively, full of joy and a blissful future, you, you, in your mind you wipe out all the possible things that can go wrong and you go forward. Essence of innocence. The second time you do it, means that first you made a decision. You got your butt kicked, the handed your head handed to you on the, back the platter. Now, then you come back for it again. That's smart. That's someone who's saying, look at every like everything else in life. You learn what this is about. Okay, this didn't work. Now I got this new idea. Now I'm home. I've got a whole lot of experience to teach me on what how to think about this thing and how to get it together. That guy is starting on his way to being a really functional human being. And and I celebrate the ability to make decisions. Uh, As you know, the first decision you make in a business is you get the idea for it. The second decision you make is starting the business. Those two are big ones. Everything else after that is small stuff. Because... We, we all speak the same language, we have the same business processes involved, uh, our government defines how f- money has to flow, you always have to pay attention to the IRS, and they tell you how your business is going to run, so those decisions are not hard to make. They get down to making decisions, well, what's my logo going to be like, who cares? Logos are uh, logos and your letterhead and all that stuff. That's all it's in your head. No one notices it because if your product's good, they don't give a damn about the logo and the green. You chose a special color, you got a special shape. All they know is I can take this and do this with it and it solves my problem. Oh, he's got a logo too? Oh, okay. Brand recognition? I, I, I joke about it. Half the time I think there is no such thing as brand recognition other than the guy who has the brand. And today, we know our customers are not brand loyal. I mean, anyone who believes they are, go look, talk to GM, I mean, places like that, brand loyalty simply doesn't exist. It gives some confidence, perhaps, in the purchase process. But if a person's product solves a problem that the customer has, that's all he really cares about. Um, I'm now in the pain business. Okay, well, the pain business is a little different than any other kind of a business because the people you deal with have a sense of urgency that goes way beyond avarice, vanity, any of those things that, which drive people. Let me tell you, pain drives people a lot harder than any internally generated thing. Your parents could have abused you, you could have been uh, uh, sexually molested when you were young and have a whole collection of uh, mental problems associated with you. And as soon as you get into pain, they all become secondary. Pain is the only thing, because pain is pervasive. Pain is the drug that numbs your mind. It's not a drug, but it affects like a drug. And so pain is totally in, 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 encompassing. And so me, for me, when I got into this pain business, I realized, oh, I have to treat my customers in a completely different way. Forget all the fancy stuff. You hurt, I fix. Okay, what else do I have to say? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the extent of it because of the drive level of the individuals I'm dealing with. I and mean, My products treat um, uh, chronic pain, back pain, uh, and the like, and all things like that. And it's just gotten so simple. You hurt, I fix. Okay. Now, there's a bunch of things we can talk about over here, how it works. I can t- explain the technology, all this fancy stuff. But here, try it, and if it makes your pain go away, who gives a crap about me? You don't care about my logo or what my letterhead looks like. All you care about is your pain went away and your life got better. Every customer that you deal with has pain. Theoretically, the idea that you come up with is something that's going to relieve people's pain. The quicker you get to the pain issue, and you hear this all the time, salesman's standard question is, what's their pain? Because that's all he can sell to. You can't sell something that doesn't solve a problem. You can't create a business with something that doesn't solve a problem. A real problem. Not one you made up. Or not one that you believe and you have. And you're the only one of ten people on the planet that have it. You need a broader range of people who are feeling pain. And if you want the company to grow bigger, we're all interested in making big hits. That's. Uh, have you read any of Craig Anderson's stuff, The Long Tail? You know, okay, you guys are familiar with that. Well, sure, you can get out on the tail further, but you're still uh, out there, you're gonna, you've got to find a pain problem that you're going to hit somebody with, that they, they, they have. <clears throat> and it may not be the, the master pain, but it can be a secondary ones, or there may be something close to it. And uh, that's still a valid marketplace. You just have to accept the fact your marketplace may not be the big hit one. But each of you, each of us dreams of being a Howard Hughes. And that's hard to do. There aren't many um, people who are like that. Let, let me add something else to this. Uh, one of the biggest fear factors that exists is a lack of education. And uh, uh, education doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter. Um, it, it only matters if you're, gonna be a, if you're gonna be a slave for somebody else, because it's a calibration tool that they use. I went to college for eight years as undergraduate, never graduated. As soon as the draft board let me go from Vietnam, I was gone. I didn't. University of California was a wonderful place. Berkeley, I loved it. As soon as I hit 26, pow, I was out the door. I didn't even stop to get a degree. It didn't matter. I hadn't, couldn't choose what to get a degree. in. at 360 units, I could do math, chemistry, physics, anthropology, sociology. I was working as an art major at the time. Things you have to do to stay out of the draft. But The education aspect of it is not important if you're the creator because you know about your idea deeper than anybody else in the world. You can be the most articulate and most compassionate person about the idea because it came from inside you and there is no education that you can do with anybody that can get them to that stage. You, if you get, let's say, this great idea, we're going to present, we're going to create um, hairy billiard balls because we decided there's a market for them, and it turns out, let's say, there is a market and people can sell fuzzy billiard balls. Okay, it's a great thing. They don't go very far, but that's, maybe there's a new game that comes out or the tables get harder. Or, or who knows? But <clears throat> you, you are passionate about the hairy bo- about the hairy billiard ball, will infect other people, and the infection is. Just that it 's a, it's a viral infection it 's not intellectual it 's purely emotional. I do uh, innovation consulting for companies where all I do is just go in and take oh here 's the idea that we 're going to work with fine Whew, wrap job on it, present it back to them with energy and it 's the energy that causes things to flow it's not doesn 't have anything to do with the intellectual side of it it 's the energy. People want to attach themselves. See, again, you got these decision layer guys up here, all the guys in the B players underneath, they're so desperately wanting to reach. Oh, I wish I was part of that. And so when you hit them on an emotional level, you can suck them in. That's what you do with your best sales staff. Uh, ClearCube uh, would be a good example. Uh, gee, I had 40 uh, some odd sales guys. At, uh, I was technically the CTO of the company, because uh, I don't like being CEO. Uh, CEO stuff. You have to deal with too many people who aren't going to pay you. you CEOs have to deal with all the people who don't pay you, it seems. Uh, and I like dealing with the sales guys because they always deal with the people who are paying. And the people who are paying tell you the truth. And so that's where you learn what you did wrong. So that sales group, I spend all my time with them in front of the customers evangelizing the products. And that step, from those, that evangelization, evangelization any time I adapted or modified a product, that's where I tested it, in my discussions with the customers. And the customers go, oh, that really sounds great, but I don't think we'd buy it. Wonderful, okay, that's exactly what I was looking for. Because everybody else I know says it's wonderful. The problem with being enthusiastic is that people go along with you. You win them over. and that's not necessarily the customer. The customer most likely will never see me. He will see, the ultimate customers, will only see the literature and the salespeople. And I hopefully injected energy into them so they can get through the door. But if the product itself doesn't solve a painful problem, then there's a lot of resistance. Now you can sell product by cost, but as soon as you talk about cost, you don't talk about value, <clears throat> and that goes away. Uh, A lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs have uh, so much difficulty with the ideation stage that they go out and buy a franchise. That becomes their idea of a way of buying a business. Well, gosh, you know, you can't fault the guys who buy McDonald's franchises. Hmm, They monetarily do very well. But there's not an ounce of them in that business. There's nothing of them. They just are mechanics who bought something that was totally wrapped for them. There, the idea was prepackaged, set up, everything was defined, it was all, here it is, just follow this book, read this manual and do that. Most of the, uh, if you go to the web and look under money making or I want to make bucks or something like that or you know, type in anything like that, you'll find hundreds of companies out there that have prepackaged ideas. <clears throat> all of which, my, always my thinking has always been, gee, why do you sell an idea on the web? only reason you can sell it there is that you can't make as much money anywhere else with it. And it's not the idea you're selling, it's the idea about somebody opening their own business, becoming an entrepreneur. And one of the problems the entrepreneur community has is that uh, uh, there are thousands, literally thousands of companies out there who are trying to get involved, get money from the entrepreneur for their own end has nothing to do with what the entrepreneur is trying to do. And the entrepreneur is given a, a mediocre idea, generally, um, but it's not his idea. See, you guys, you're, you're all at this stage where you got, you're farming for or you're fishing for the idea. And when you get that idea, you don't even know it. You won't know it until you're a first customer, really. Uh, uh, I went to a... Um, uh, the, what was it? Rice University has a um, uh, thing here in town where they uh, review business plans and I was asked to be on a group to review a business plan and uh, these people came in with a business plan, they had this nice presentation that went up on a screen like this and there were two other guys there who were both men who were managers in corporate businesses and then there was me and I happened to have my 19 year old son with me because I take him to as many of these things as I can so he can get an idea of how to be free. And so uh, these, these people started their pitch and they got this up. And I said, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Um, uh, nice, um, uh, but you're going to take up 20 minutes here and we're going to avoid the- What have your customers said? And they admitted to me they had never taken the idea in front of a customer yet. And I said, for me, this session is over. I didn't say that. I said, for me, this fucking session is over. You've wasted my time, is what I said. So I only got one in there. So <laughs> we, beep. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working very hard not to, to, say, to speak the way I would, because I have this recording device here. Otherwise, I would be yelling things that are obscenities, because I just think me so. So anyway, these people are very disturbed at my attitude. And these two manager guys said, well, we should help them with this business plan. I said, the business plan is bullshit. Because no one's untested. No one's talked to, not one customer. You could walk across the street to Frost Bank. I can take you over there because I know the president. Sit down with him and explain the idea to him and see what he thinks. It's a service they would have sold. Part of the service would have been to the banks. But if you've never done that, why, this is science fiction. This is all a dream. And I don't go well with other people's dreams. My owner, weird enough, I don't need yours. So that kind of the whole thing disintegrated at that point. My son laughed a whole lot. Actually, my son asked the question: "says Have you ever really ever tried this?" That's what kind of led me to the point where I guess it's time for me to to ask my question, which was: Has a customer seen this? So the ideas are great. You get them everywhere. You're talking with everybody. Um, You get ideas for services, ideas for things. The question is: Who's going to buy it? Who makes it valuable? And that's the thing you've got to pursue. Um, now, sometimes you need, as you, you know, as Edwards mentioned, the next step in this process, you get an idea, is you want to do a demo. Well, the demo, to me, the demo and the idea are kind of blurred together. Because you take this thing that you, is your idea, you put it on the table for, oh, here, you know, I'm going to... And the guy says, eh, man, I've got those already. Maybe if you did it like this, I'd be more interested. Oh, okay, guess what? That demo was <laughs> going to build a new demo right away. And that idea just got turned on its side 90 <laughs> degrees. But suddenly, the most important person in the world said, Turn it 90 degrees. And that was the person who's going to pay you for it. Always think pay. To get value out of an idea, it has to be paid for. So, uh, I, my, and by the way, I've, I've tried lots of other little businesses um, where I've either funded guys or done them myself, and you just have to be prepared. You take this idea, oh, I love this, there's great people who like it, and everyone, you go to customers, customers, uh, I don't really care much about it, okay, <laughs> over the shoulder. Next, divorce yourself, completely forget about it, except remember the customer experience because you learned from that customer other things than just whether or not this was good or bad. You learn how that customer thought, and if that's a common area that you want to pursue with that kind of a topic, that kind of customer you will see repeatedly. If it's not someone that you're ever going to go back to, he still acted in a way, caused you to have a certain kind of theater, set up a pathway. You know, selling is a dance. And the reason I say it's a dance is because it's just like a dance. Everybody knows what's going on. You got to go do it. You got to ask, would you please dance with me? You get up and you dance. Well, guess what? All of this, everybody knows. So a, a selling process is really a dance where you get to learn about them and they get to learn about you. They have a way they buy, you have a way you, sell, you want to sell. You adopt the way you're going to sell to the way they're going to buy and you take your idea and you change, paint it, polish it, do whatever's necessary. Will you buy it if I paint it green? That kind of thing until that idea is now something that, that person is willing to buy. And at that point, you got the grounds for a transaction. Your first transaction defines a business. You're not in business until you make your first sale. Prior to that, you're on an outing expedition. I mean, Until you can build up a bunch of them, have them in the warehouse, you ain't in business until the day someone buys something. Business is defined as a transaction. An idea, proving the idea, a demonstration to validate the whole thing. Then you maybe go out and raise some money. Maybe your idea is good enough that the guy looks at it and says, uh... Uh, I really don't like you, but I'll tell you what, our, my company will give you a million dollars for your idea. <laughs> Those things can happen. That's a nice sale. Say, whoa, wait <laughs> a minute, I'm only going to make one sale and make all this money? That's, can't complain about that. <clears throat> but there is a process, but you have to engage in it. You've got to go sometimes with something that's not perfect. It doesn't matter. It'll get perfect in time. If you wait for perfection in your idea, it ain't going to happen. Because as long as you try to develop in a vacuum or with people that think you're really cool, you're never going to deal with the truth. So you, got, you take that half-baked idea that sucks, 92% of it sucks, and you go out and you talk to people who would buy it, and when you come back, it only, now only 78% of the people don't like it. And you go take it out again, and you come back, and only 50%. And pretty soon you're down to only 10% of the people reject it. Hey, now you've got a business. Yeah, now, well, you're almost through a business. Now you get someone to say, will you buy this? If I can deliver on January 4th of 2009, would you buy this thing? And if the guy says yes, you have started a business. So what else can I tell you? I mean, that's about the essence of it. Customers determine it all. You determine nothing. Ideas are wonderful. Only customers can tell you they're good. I can't tell you they're good. He can't tell you they're good. None of these guys can tell you it's good. Only you, only your customer can do that. And then if you want to protect it, just make it safe, you can get a patent, you can do all this other fall wrong. raw And uh, actually, I filed for my last patent uh, Thursday, of the last week, because, uh, you know, uh, you know, let me tell you a quick example. Company comes to me and they build a hair restorations technology using lasers. And they buy these things in Sweden and they sell them in the United States for fifty thousand bucks a pop. They buy them for twenty grand, they sell them for fifty. And the guy says, "We want to build these in the United States." Everyone tells us you know all about this physics crap and so, and, and marketing. So what what do we do? And I look at it, and I say, "Oh, okay. Guess what? Uh, I can get the whole thing redesigned for you cheap." But I know, uh, just looking at it, I see another way of doing it. And because I've had a lot of experience, I said, another way has a patentability." I'll sell you the IP. It'll have this. The, that IP will have greater value because it will have better features than the units you're now selling. I want 60 grand. Oh, okay. So they're out raising the money to do it. So bang. I mean, just It can happen that fast. Ideas are easy to come up with. And uh, in my case, I'm kind of a professional workaround artist. People come to me with a patent and they say, uh, you know, these guys are building this. And I look at it and go, oh, 17 different ways of doing it. Which way can I make the most money on? And... Uh, but that's my experience base. But it's only because I, I go after their customers first. And in the particular case of the hair thing, I wouldn't talk to customers first. I said, okay, thanks. Uh, here's the gadget. I'll call you back. I called two doctors. Cold called them. Say, hey, look, I'm working on redesigning and improving this product. Can you talk to me for a minute? Sure. What don't you like about it? Well, it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. Cost you got that much money. Oh, okay. Anything else? No, thanks. Okay, those were the clues I needed. If I could call, you know, two guys said essentially the same thing. So that means if I can make those, fill those holes, I can give this guy a product that will sell. So, and don't ever hesitate to call a customer or to walk in. If you've got an idea, just walk into a, the place you might be thinking to the customers. Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And uh, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I got an idea, and I need some help. I need your advice because I need your wisdom. And candy coated it any way you want. But get his reaction, get or hers, get it fast, and uh, move. Don't sit around. This this entrepreneur stuff is not uh, a relaxing hobby. This is we go out and kill people and kill do things. Just like someone having a problem there. Oh, EMS But do something. Just make a decision. Lock your mind down, even if you don't like what you're thinking. Find out if somebody else does. But do something, it's the movement, it's the action. That's the key to it. Because if you don't get off your ass and move, you're nothing. And sitting around talking about it is no good. Everybody at this table should be at this time talking to somebody about possibly buying an idea that they have. And if it doesn't work fine, throw it over your shoulder, come to the session, say, I tried this idea and I talked to six people and they all laughed at me and one of them slammed the door. Oh, okay, what would you learn? Well, you learned that roughly 16% of the people will not slam, will slam the door, and the other um, 87% will listen to you and then laugh. That's invaluable information. So that means that if you were to say that, then she knows that that's an expected conduct. So when it happens to her, it's not a problem. Oh, I heard that happened to him. Okay, this is normal. But do something. Just plain do something. That is the the single... That is the key. And uh, uh, that's all I've ever done. Uh, I've done, been doing this uh, since I left, uh, got tossed out of college. And um, uh, I even did that beforehand. Let me tell you how I got tossed out of college. Good. you got time for a story. Uh, you know, eight years school. So a buddy of mine uh, takes a civics class. We're at Berkeley. And uh, he, uh, he comes back and he says, Hey, here's the school um, uh, rules for clubs. And so we, I look, we look at this, and the five of us in total, we're all getting loaded, <laughs> reading this thing, joking, laughing. When all of a sudden it occurs to us, hey, here's a golden opportunity. What the school says is you can form a club in campus. Remember all those clubs you saw on campus? And the clubs need to do a little fundraising. Raise some money. Say ka-ching. I heard that sound. We all heard that sound. And so what the school will do is they'll help you do fundraising. Now, they know that you, your students, you don't know much about fundraising, so they'll do the following things. They'll give you a place to have an event. Uh, they'll give you advertising. They'll put up front money for the uh, event. Uh, they'll give you uh, ushers and everything. And the school, at that point, it had things like a folk singer comes in and 250 people show up, and the guy gets up on the stage, plays the guitar, and the club makes... And since you're not expected as a club to know how to do this, uh, you can use a professional promoter and you can give him up to 90% of the gate. ching Oh, God, we never heard that. Money and 90% just... Whew. So we go downtown and get a license to be a promoter. Just a business license. We go across the bay to Bill Graham and we ooh, talk, 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 talk. So our first show was Big Brother and the Holding Company. And our second one was Buffalo Springfield and the third one was Jimi Hendrix. And so we all made a lot of money. Uh... Each of them has made about 63000 bucks or 64000 bucks after these three shows. So then the dean of students calls us in, and uh, the officer said, we just audited all the books, and guess what? Your clubs had more money go through than all the rest of the clubs in the last three years. So we got curious about it. We went downtown. We looked up the uh, simultaneous Avalanche uh, production company. We found it was you guys. Now, what you've done is not illegal (laughs) yet, but we feel that you should give the money back to the student union. Well, gee, you know, gosh, but we didn't snort, smoke, or screw. Um, Here we are, we're all in our mid-twenties in college. Students and, <clears throat> and I had, uh, out of the money I had, I bought a car, a nice Mercedes, and I, I built myself a big PA system because I was bringing it back to the company. Well, uh, the dean said, look, here's the way it goes, guys. Until that money goes back in the hopper, we've lost your, your library records. I don't know if any of you remember if in school the thing about the library records. The end of every semester, in order to get your transcript moved to the next semester in order to re-enroll or to leave the school, you have to have the library sign off on your that you don't owe many books. If you don't get that, you, you can't get a transcript. If you can't get a transcript, you can't leave. You can't do anything. So he had us over a barrel because it was clear to us that unless we came up with a quarter million dollars and gave it back to them, um, that we were, we were stuck. Oh, and then he said, I'm going to call your draft boards. And, uh, and three weeks later, I turned 26. I got a notice from the draft board in there. It says, you're 4Y. why I shoved all the books in the garbage can, and that was the end of my college career. I went and spent a year and a half on the road with Jethro Tull. And uh, then I spent a year with Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, because I took the sound system and turned it into a bunch of trucks, and we, we did mobile sound. But that opportunity just presented itself. But the idea for that business was simply reading a document. And laughing at the parts where they said, you know, it just was so clear that all you had to do is connect these dots. And once we connected the dots, there was an opportunity there. And we knew we had customers because all these people wanted to go see shows and they weren't happening. And we knew the vendor across the bay, that was Bill Graham, and he'd talk to anybody. And um, pow. And so we had opportunity, means, motivation. (laughs) And we executed it. So starting a business is simple. That was my first business. And after that...
1: What did you call the
0: club? Well, it wasn't a club. We used the school. Oh, uh, the Society for the Advancement of Electronic Music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. That's, that was the name of the club. <laughs> and it had uh, four, five members. <laughs> we weren't interested in recruiting anybody else. <laughs> Never had a meeting that I could remember. But it was just opportunity presented us. So that was, you know, in different times in your life, opportunity will present itself. There is no luck. People talk about, well, you know, you make your own luck. Ah, oh, what bullshit. You simply make opportunity. You go out and you hustle and you talk to people and you be communicative and you create opportunity. And when you talk to people, they tell you your problem, their problems. You should always keep your mouth shut about your problems. No one cares about your problems. They're, they're, no one at all cares about you. So all you got to worry about is what problems other people have because if you can solve their problems, they become potential customers. And if they're going to be a customer, guess what? Opportunity, business. So that's why it's easy to come up with a business. It's really easy. It's just you have to act on it. Oh, some guy says, well, I, you know, I want to do this or something like that. Just do it. Just do it. And don't be afraid to do two or three things at the same time. Because the skills to run a business are the same. You've got to market, you've got to sell, you've got to administer, you've got to do ops, you've got to deliver, all those things are all the same. So why not do a bunch of them? If you can't figure on the one that you want to do and you're not really sure about, take two or three and try. To see. One of them, someone's going to like, and as they like it, throw the other stuff aside and go. But go. That's the key. Move. Take action. Take that knowledge and turn it in, mix it with action so you gain power. Cuz ultimately that's why we do all this stuff. You know, in the end, the motivation is not money. It's power. It's power most cases to simply be free. Although you're actually more bound by a business than you are if you work for somebody else. On the other hand, you can control the destiny. You get to make the bad decisions or the good ones. But all of that is a sense of freedom that guy working for the state never gets because he can't have that option. It's, it's bound away from him. Or a guy working at AMD or a guy working for Motorola or something like that. You know, I, I buy and sell those guys all the time. And, uh, and don't ever be intimidated by education because the more education someone has, typically the less capable they are Of really making decisions. You know, BS, MS, PhD, bullshit, more of the same pile than high and deep. That's what that stands for. (laughs) And believe me, PhDs are cheap. You can hire them and fire them all day long. And I use them as a disposable commodity item. Because they impress people who are not entrepreneurs. You, You turn a PhD, take a PhD into an entrepreneur, and the entrepreneur's typical attitude is, big fucking deal. You know why are we here? Am I supposed to be impressed? No, I'm not impressed because I'm in control of my destiny and you're not. Questions? Oi. We had an idea, you, but you don't
1: have the right skill. How do you go out and find the right partner? To um. Like, to,
0: to
1: look
0: for what kind of oh Okay, you, you say skill. An idea is an entity. You mean skill to execute it? To execute it. To oh, okay. It Oh, but but that 's a whole different matter than the idea. The idea is this kernel around which you have, you get people to come around now, some of those people will be the executioners, some of the people will be the sellers some of the you got all these different people. But once you have an idea, once you have a conviction in your mind about this, and once you're sure someone will want it, and that 's got to be it. You've got to be sure they're going to want it. Because if you go out and, and attract, one of the responsibilities you take on as an entrepreneur is people follow you. They can't help but do it. It is the nature of the activity. Once you pick up something and start moving with it, you know, behind you is a line of people. Uh, you know, Eisenhower used to always have this uh, thing about uh, management. He always used to put a piece of string on a table. And he said, well, look, there's two ways I can get this string along. I can try pushing it or I can put my finger at the end of it and drag it. If I'm a leader, I drag it. So Once you have an idea, you have something to form leadership around. You take it to your first customer. You find a customer, someone representative of the customer, someone that can convince you that you can actually sell this thing. At that point, you have a ecclesiastic event occurs in your mind. And it it will, even if it's something as dumb as, I can cover these with a better material. I've come, I, you know, and I don't own the material, and I just know there has to be a better one, but I go down here to the manager and say, look, I can come up with a material to go on these things that will solve a problem that you have. The problem with this is cleaning, let's say. Okay, I can't execute this. But if he says, you know, that's not a bad idea. We could, uh, you know, as long as it's not too expensive, we could do that. Okay. Now you can stand out in the street corner and say, look, at, I have a tested idea here, folks. It's this thing. I don't know how to do it, but it's this thing. So I go stand around where some people who make paper. I say, I got this idea. I want to. But then someone will stand up and say, oh, I know how to do that. And it's over. The process has started, and they that you your energy. Your awareness, your outgoing nature, and I'm not an outgoing person, uh, this is acting. You saw the way I normally, I would just sit here, cogitate. I got enough things going on in my head that I don't need to sit and socialize with anybody, except my family, which is the key to my life. But. <laughs> when you get an idea and crystallize it and it becomes something you can wrap around that's an exciting thing people want to be excited all you have to do is find generally people that you think can do this kind of thing and go stand there and say I got this idea and I can do I think this kind of thing but I can't do it by myself I need some extra help someone will stand up it's not, it's not hard to find if you, let's say, give me, I'll give you an example. You want to do, or let's say I wanted to write a piece of software that i got no clues to how to do. I'm not a software writer. <coughs> I'm, so let's say I decide that I come up with a business-to-business methodology um, to accomplish some event. Um, I can get, I can put an ad in the paper or on the web saying, hey, i got a great fucking idea. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but it involves software. If you want to change your life... If you want to begin to get free, why don't you call me and we'll talk about this thing. We'll sign an NDA and I'll tell you what the idea is. And if you can make the idea work, you and I, we're going to go out and change the world. And if you have that kind of an attitude and that kind of a pitch, people are going to call. It's simple. All their, everybody else is a vendor. You're the only guy who's not an, a vendor. Everybody else in your company is a vendor. The guy who has the idea, the kernel of it, you buy and sell CTOs and CEOs and COOs. All these people are disposable. If it's got three letters on it, it's disposable. But founder, that's not three letters. Inventor, that's not three letters. Originator, those aren't three letters. All those are almost impossible to find. If you get to the, that status and you do it by saying, this idea will work, I believe in it, I'm going to get... When you'd like that, all these three-letter guys will come because they're afraid. They got the three letters because they're terrified. They're fucking scared. Most people who work jobs are scared. They do that because they work. They're not hunters. They don't want to go out and hunt and kill. They want to be taken care of. So if you have an idea, all you need to do is say, next, look, here's an opportunity, and you don't have to invent it. I've already invented it. All we have to do is execute it. And you will find people, and you will find them cheap, if not free, or for some equity. You'll work a deal with them. But they will come because they don't have what you have, a glow inside an idea that you've wrapped your hands around and you're running with. You exude, when you, when you ideate, when you take that idea and internalize it, no matter how funky the idea is, once you do that, you glow. And people are attracted to glow. And you've got to remember who they are. They're disposables, they're vendor, vendors. I mean, They may turn out to be good friends in the long run, but you will never be like them. What always differentiates you is you changed life; they didn't, and that difference is absolutely profound. They can't make a decision without you justifying it or okaying. You can make any decision you want because of that. You're different than they are, and you gotta. The hardest thing when you start a business and get into it is to really learn. Much as you love all the people that work for you. They're all disposable. You're the only character that's not disposable.
1: So, so let's say you're, you, you did this and you put this ad out and you got these people in that wanted to you know, change the world with you. You've done this a lot. What do you look for in people?
0: The can they do it? They're just vendors. I, all right, I need certain tasks done. I need a software writer who can speak in front of small crowds so I can use them from, for other things. So he's a multiple purpose, multiple revendable MR. No one got that. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's an old fire sign theater joke. So, so you try to, you, you, you have the, the primary reason you want to get him is because guy can write software, let's say. Okay. Secondary, you look at him and say, okay, now what else, can, forget the software part, what else can I use you for? I'm going to use you to make your life better. And, and that's what you will do. Because once you have the idea, there's a gestalt that goes off in your mind about the market. You begin to see the marketplace as a whole. You realize, oh, I've got to deal with these kinds of people. I need a body I can shove there who, when he's not there, can be over here writing code and maybe doing this kind of thing. Oh, that defines what I want this guy to do. And you simply tell people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this kind of code, we're going to do this kind of thing. You've got to be able to go talk with these kinds of people. So I'll tell you what. While we're sitting here, why don't me, here, why Take this and sell it to me, and then shut your mouth and watch him. You know, if he's too geeky, he'll go. Smoke will come out of the ear, and, and he's out of the office. And if the guy picks it up and tries to do something, hey, he's a keeper. And just do simple things to probe. And, uh, and then you know, if, if you get to see ten of these characters, you pick the one you like the best. And it's a crapshoot; it may not work out. He may have fooled you. you, know, as you get older and you get more practice at it, you, after a while you can watch him come through the door and pretty well figure out what's going to happen. You know, Watch them come through the door, sit down, and okay, go. <laughs> you ain't going to make it, I can tell. And other guys, you can look in their face and you can see what's going on. But they will. they're not going to change the world. You're going to change the world. They're going to facilitate the changing process. And you have to remember and keep that in mind. Because if you don't, you'll put too much hope in them. You'll begin to think they can do things they can't. And when you do that, you let your guard down, you become sloppy, you become drift off, and you, he crashes against your, your best customer. And then now you have to go out and do a repair job, and uh, you don't want to deal with that. <clears throat> but it's, it's simple to find the, and qualify the people. Just ask them. Talk to them, tell them what you want to tell the truth. No f- high fluted expectations. Well, you're going to be the uh, head of uh, the birthization department and you'll make $90 million a day and I'll have you on a bonus plan that'll make your dad roll over in his grave. Um, no, none of that's going to happen. You say, look, we're going to struggle for about a year and a half, uh, I'll keep your family fed and uh, when we get to the point where our customers are actually buying stuff, we will then share in the profit. And because you put in, so you did this early. And uh, if you can hold, if you can keep going, if you can do this, you will do well. I will change your life. But you will not change mine. You will facilitate the changing of mine. Because if he's strong enough to change your life, it's his company. And that might be the way you want to do it, by the way. You might just decide, well, gee, I got this great idea, but I don't want to do all this, be a CEO and all this other stuff. And so you get somebody else to do it. But when you do that, you always have to expect failure. You always have to expect that they will then try to modify it to be something that they think is better. And that whatever you were doing, if it was classically right for the customer, may get altered, which could diminish. In the beginning, you have to go to the customer. Not a sales guy. These people that I did this uh, review of the uh, business plans with, one of the things that the, the person who was the president of the company said, well, I'll have my sales people go out. And I said, no, no, you've got to go out. The first rejection has to be at the, the idea creator level because you've got to know the truth about what's going on in the field and you'll never know it if you let somebody else do it. You don't even know if your idea was presented correctly. You have to do it in the beginning, and it, the first customers anyone has, uh, at Austin Medical all the first, the first 30 customers I sold personally, even though I'm not in the business of going out and selling stuff, medical stuff to doctors, I did it because I needed to learn the truth about what it's like in a doctor's office what the customer's like. I need to know the truth about what kind of rejection there is. I need to know the truth about what the complaints will be. I need to know the truth about what it's going to take to get this guy to buy this. Now, if and I just hired a sales guy, if the sales guy comes back to me and he goes quack 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 and I say, oh, I heard that one before, fuck you. No, no, I will not accept that. You are doing it wrong. Let me re-energize you and resend you out because I know the truth and you came back with something else. And that, that's the strength. You, but your idea, the idea is what gives you the strength. The, the, what you, um, your ideation process is where you get your strength. And that's what you blindly carry on with. Once you know, you know, you read Moore's book down the, in the bowling alley and all that crap uh, inside the tornado. Well, <laughs> you know, he's...
1: <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. But he's essentially right. Uh, it, it, in the beginning, you just have to go down this almost with blinders on just the customers who pay you, you listen to and everybody else pfft, you throw away you get to the end of the bowling alley and then you say screw the customer I know now what is right for everybody and you build it and when customers come down I want a green fine you know go see another guy hmm? when you're ready oh yeah
1: I, I, go ahead and finish uh, no that's just okay. okay you alluded to a dance with the customer mm-hmm. and one thing that we talk about a lot in here is the dance with a potential partner in the business, and how we need complementary skills. It sounds like you, your motto is just to charge first.
0: Absolutely,
1: and not necessarily look for the right partner, and that's something where we get, all get stuck in. Is
0: I charge right ahead. Right oh, by the way, in the medical company, I've got two good partners that I picked up on the way.
1: You pick them up on the way. Yeah, if
0: I had okay. waited to find them, I'd never find them. How, do you, how do, I, do you put an ad up on the wall that says, looking for a partner that will compliment a, this kind of guy? And who's going to read that ad? You move along and you create a wake. Every time you do any action, you create a wake behind you. Other bright guys, oh, what, I saw a wake over I wonder where that came from. And they follow it upstream until they meet you and they don't, you know in both of my case, one of them was a guy recommended to me, a new guy I got for sales who I'll make a I'll vest him very well with stock and uh, he's just a ball of fire and was looking for he's been doing other things and looking for something that was hot and um, we met a year after I started the company
1: But How do you you necessarily identify the right qualities in, in those partners?
0: You well, if you're, if you're anything like me, I just simply get in the guy's face and say, Hey, can you do this? And watch what he does. And, uh, you know, some people shrink back. Oh, okay, you would never last with me. Uh, <laughs> and if they, if they don't shrink back and they say, Well, look, what, I think you're wrong in the way you're doing this. Oh, gosh, finally some critical analysis. Thank you. I like you. And then you move ahead. But you don't. It's not so much interview. It's like ships pulling up next to each other. You don't go into dock and go out and hunt around. You're out at sea all the time, and you're moving. As long as you move, you build inertia. You, let's say you get an idea and you can't even come up with a demo. So you out, go out and sell the idea, and you build inertia. And there's a wake behind you. Other people hear about it. They what they hear is this guy's full of energy. He's got this idea out there. The idea I don't know if it sucks or not, but he doesn't even have a prototype. You know, can't even show us what it really is, but people with any imagination go, oh, okay, yeah, let's go find this guy and see what he's like. And you cross-connect. If you plan that you're going to wait for something like that to happen, you'll get older than I am before you'll have any form of success. If you go out and march across the field and just start trudging and talk to customers, a lot of the, the guy I met who's, who's going to run ops and has become a very good partner of mine, a customer said, hey, you know, I know this guy who's just like you. Oh, okay, well, how much like me? And <clears throat> so it, we, we, and we met and we kind of hit it off. And then as he saw what I was doing, he said, you know, you ought to be looking at doing it this way. Oh, okay, why don't you just take the responsibility for this? If you think you're so good at it, let me alone and I'll go do what I have to do and we'll work together. But you don't discover, I mean, you discovered by doing, not by waiting. This is not a thing where you trap another guy. This is a thing where you're hustling across the field and the other guys come and run next to you. And pretty soon you've got this little pack of guys, or girls, you know, the whole, whatever, human beings, entities. Entities that can think and make decisions. And you find, the, you, you kind of mutually agree that the best thing you can do is work together. And that's how you get your top tier. The other way to do is go hire them. And the ones you hire always suck, always. Never seen a case where, because the only thing in their mind is, I didn't have this job before, I had another one. And I have this job now, and I'll probably have another one after this. So I'm really looking for a transition <laughs> to a better thing. I'm not really wrapped up in this thing, but I'm, it's my goal is to... My life is going from... is a career. See, I, I, I have no career. Never had one. If you become a true entrepreneur, you have no career. There's no career path for an entrepreneur. It simply doesn't happen. There, there are no procedural steps that you go through. You become, first of all, flunky in the office, and then you become this, and then you become this, and then maybe you become a VP. and That doesn't happen. Those are the people you pay, you buy entrepreneurs create and they create and they they don't need any qualification other than an idea and a, an enthusiastic wrapping or something around that idea those are the only things that you need you don't need to uh, i'm not a doctor i'm selling medical stuff i hire doctors to get in the way so other doctors like to talk to them they don't want to talk to me because the first thing i'll do is talk doctor into trying to quit his business and go to do something better <laughs> instead of seeing patients so you don't necessarily want me to... When I go talk to them, I talk to them about the product and how healing, blah, blah, blah. Enthusiastic, great company, we're going up and all this stuff. But the bottom line is, I'm not going to convert them to become part of me. I'm going to convert them to sell stuff and be better off in your life. But you've got to do it by moving. Move, move. If you don't move, you're dead. If you don't move, you sink. It's like a water skier. Two ways that you can go. Guess what? You can either go like this or you can go like that. There is no in-between. There's no diagonal this way. There's no diagonal that way. Yeah?
1: I just had a question about pricing. When you introduce that, when you first talk to the customer, you just lay off of that, and, and then how
0: do you go about it? Or is that a whole other hour lecture? No, it's not an hour lecture. Uh,
1: it,
0: it, it's all about value, not price. Right. You know, I, I know that sounds like kind of a, a chicken way to say it, but no, look, at if I solve your problem, how much is your problem? What's the pain of your problem? Part of the analysis is, uh, I build a, uh, a napkin that can, can wipe my face off. Okay, well, what's the pain level? Is? Well, if I wait long enough, it dribbles down and goes in my shirt. So the pain level's not very high. Napkin ain't worth much to me. <clears throat> if I have a business where, let's say, um, I have uh, 50 employees, and they're doing some process on the software, and each one of them wastes an hour a week... 50 man hours a week just got wasted, and thus they're being paid $25 an hour. Whoa! Guess what? I just found out I got a $7,500 a week problem paying here. Okay, Uh, you spread that over a year, and all of a sudden, right away, I can see where this thing that I have is going to, you know, here's the value. All right, Mr. Customer. Not only is it great value, I'm going to give you a deal. You don't have to pay the two million dollars. I'll do it for $10,000. Or maybe a licensing fee, but you work something out. But you, 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 now, there are other kinds of problems that people solve which can't be equated that way. Let's say you, sell a, you create a vanity item. Well, vanity has no bounds. This, this hair restoration system is all about vanity. And so a $50,000 gadget that costs around $1,500 to build marked up from a guy who imports into the States at twenty thousand dollars and sells it to the doctor for thirty. The doctors, they don't care what it costs, because their customers are so vain. Anyone who is going to sit down and go through that process for five months of having laser hair treatments coming in three times a week, that guy he's just a milk him milk him. It's just, so the doctor's happy it's a cash flow device. So the value is you know, vanity's got its own special values
1: come up
0: demo, or you even got a demo, you don't know what the cost is, Does it mean you try to solve that? Well, possible? sure you know what the cost is. How long is it, if you fiddle with anything, you can figure out what it costs. It's a piece of software, it looks like it's going to have um, 10 lines of code in it. Alright, it's going to cost me 100,000 bucks. Um, you you, you, get an idea. you anything that you can think of, you can ask someone else in this room well, how long do you think it would take to make a piece of software that that did this like i 'd say I'd probably four months, three guys some power you got a rough idea what 's going to cost you but uh, and if it 's a piece of hardware uh, twenty five bucks a pound i mean the numbers I, I just—I'm very experienced in, in hardware and software, so I can look at something and really quickly. But that's because I've been doing this for 45 years, almost 50 years. You—you um, you always can find someone, and therefore you know an engineering buddy. Hey, I, I want to build an electronic one of these. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, probably costs around 70 bucks. Man, blah blah blah. Hmm. Hey, you got your groundwork. Mark it up. I like seven to ten times markup. I really like that. Uh, my medical device, I pay uh, $74 for a sell for a thousand bucks. Uh, so my, you know, that's, But I know that that's the opening day. Now as time goes on, we have to discount that. So I already want, I want it by the time people have hammered me down and I've got distributors in there and reps and everybody else, everyone's getting their little bowl of rice out of the thing. I still want the big bowl back at the end, <clears throat> but you already know all this. You're going right, Yeah. See, so you know it. You just need to act on it. Knowledge, action, power.
1: You touched on something with, you know, with money, investor, how are you going to work with them, do you need them, or what can we on?
0: Like? Well, you're in the bootstrap thing here, aren't you?
1: But if you, as a boy, you want to grow.
0: Well, grow, first of all, your customers. You go ask your customers. Say, hey, look, you know you've really liked this product. This has been great. I'm thinking about now expanding the business. Do you know anybody? Uh, let me offer this thought about venture capitalists. Fuck them. <laughs> um, you don't want to deal with venture capitalists. I'm sorry. Was that quite subdued substituted enough? that. Um, <laughs>
1: I, I, I
0: just figured, maybe just figured out uh, Barry's bootstrap bumper sticker. fuck them. These can eat shit and die. Um, uh, 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 there's a guy from DCM uh, venture Capitalist, out uh, of Sandhurst uh, uh, Sand Hill out in uh, California. Uh, article in the Wall Street, no, Harvard Business School, Harvard Business uh, uh, v- Review. Yeah, uh, a week ago or so, he says. In the first quarter of this year, there were no venture-backed IPOs. In the second quarter of this year, there were three venture-backed IPOs. Okay, what's the message there? The message there is that the venture capital does not guarantee an IPO. The venture capitalists have their own world to live in. Remember, their need for success is not as great as their need to acquire more investors. And so they will take extreme risks with businesses that are flashy. You have a green business that's socially conscious? Oh, you can raise money for it, no problem. No one cares if it's going to be successful because it dies in a portfolio somewhere. But the VC was able to use it to go to uh, some insurance company and get their retirement fund. And that's what he was interested in, the half billion dollars he brought in because his money is based more on the piece of the pie he gets out of all those transactions than he does on you succeeding. Venture capitalists, we're in our third generation of venture capitalists. First generation venture capitalists were guys who started a business, were successful at it and then formed a VC company and were trying to get other young entrepreneurs going. Now things got too busy for them and they got old and so they had to hire new people. So what did they do? They hired managers from companies. They figured, well, this is a management kind of thing, and I can't get another And the guy who started this company over here won't come and work for me. He's got his own VC thing, or he's in Tahiti. And so, so the qualification that they used is they hired managers. And so the second-tier guys you saw were managers from big companies who handled the internal portfolios of those companies. Uh, a bunch of guys from Compact went to uh, Austin Ventures, uh, all these different companies. Now these, the, and the old guys, disappear. They, they're now, they're really old. They're 70 years old and they're gone. They decide they want to go do something else. So, the second tier, second group guys, now they're going to hire people to help support. But they know how bad managers are because they are managers. And they know that their careers really were not built on any skills they had, but on sk- just damn lucky. So, they hire MBAs. So, the third tier are MBAs. I saved this finger for the MBAs. <laughs> And <laughs> the MBAs don't know shit. They, they came out of school expecting to be millionaires, uh, and they have never experienced running a business. They know nothing about people, and that's not what they're about. They're like long, young lawyers. And so they are even worse. So what you wind up with is people who don't know anything. Now, the second problem is when you go to a VC, the first requirement with that is you now form two kinds of stock in the company. You, you, when you start your business, you're going to have common stock. Everybody will have common stock. It's equally shared. Everybody who has common stock worries about the customer because they're intimately controlled with the business. In comes a VC. The VC says, oh, no, no, we don't deal in common stock. We have preferred stock. And it has all these characteristics attached to it, warrants, ratchets, blah, 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 and it goes up and down the scale. And so we create this new kind of stock, we're separate, okay, all right, everyone says, fine, they get the money. What they don't realize is the VC's only concern is the value of that stock. That's not the same value structure as the common stock. So they can take actions and will take actions and don't even think about actions that are necessarily good for the customer, only for the valuation of that stock. And the value of that stock, it may be more important to let a company's value go to hell in a handbasket, but prep it for an M&A, where they can do a stock swap with somebody else and wind up with some really nice stock over here and they get rid of that stuff. So they're playing a whole different game behind the scenes. You can't run a company where half, where the, most of the ownership is playing a game that has nothing to do with being good for the customer. They'll give you voice, lip, service, everything, you know, oh, we're really customer concerned, blah, blah, oh, believe me. <laughs> absolute stroke job. <clears throat> well, they're living in, <clears throat> and they are guys who are in transition also. So for the VC, he doesn't sometimes really care about how well a company does as long as it sets him up to go to work for this VC over here who pays a lot more and has better deals. So in rotation, this, with ClearCube, we did a thing um, uh, that involved Soros, um, AV, and a company called Sternhill, And at the very end of it, we realized that what they were actually trying to do was merge two companies, us and RTS, and create a third kind of a company which, <clears throat> which they could shove out in a, in a uh, um, M&R with some bank and they would have made a ton of money off it even though the stock would have gone to hell because it wouldn't have mattered because they they were getting all these other fees. So you've got people in the background playing with your business whose so, good reason is, to be there is not your customers. So that's why I don't VCs. And every VC will tell you how, much, how good they are. Wear boots.
1: It, it's just...
0: <laughs> You know, some kind of waterproof foot gear because it's, it's crap. In the end, they're gone all the time and they, they have a different world they want to live in. So how do you get money is the question probably the real question. Okay, you've got this idea, you built a demo for it, and you're going down the bootstrap road, which is where we we build, somehow we get a few customers, maybe we get some uh, uh, friends and family, we've taken everything your uncle has and your aunt and all their retirement funds, which today would probably be a good investment, because their funds are sucking anyway. Um, And you get to the point where you need to raise money. Well, if your customers like your product. They will find you the money. There's nothing in the world wrong with going to the go, uh, let's say you're selling to um, you know, Bluebell ice cream. You came up with a container lid or something like that, and Bluebell is a major customer, and you decide you want to increase your business. Oh, well, go see the president of Bluebell. And go see the chairman of the board. You know, there's a funny thing about being a CEO: you can call anybody when you become, especially when you're chairman of the board or founder, like my role is primarily as founder. As founder, I could call anybody. No one hierarchically is higher than I am. If you go by this pecking list of hierarchy and order, well, gee, this is a vice president, he has to talk horizontally to a vice president. Salesmen can't talk to CEOs. Well, guess what? Founders are above it all. I, I did a lot of work with the military. I just... Vice the uh, Secretary of Defense, um, I've, I've had meetings with, I've gotten to know him, bunch of generals, a bunch of generals and I just you know they're just straight- out guys, because guess what, guys? I had to invent a company to put people into. You were just giving people. And that difference, I created, you took over. That difference sets me here. They're all here. And you've got to make sure you understand that. That's where that internal power comes from, because when you realize that you caused something to happen, they affected it to happen, and that difference, someday any one of those guys could be working for me. I'll never work for them. And that's the way you got to look at the world, because that's the way it is. A CEO who's not a founder, he's just a paid flunky. He may only last two or three years before they get him out of there and throw a new guy in. He's a disposable. You're a founder. You create things. You start them to happen. You sit here and ideate. You have an idea. And that idea from that grows this flower. Those guys are pots. And if you think of them in that way, they're not hard to deal with at all. Some guy comes up and says, I'm CEO of something. or I'm the founder. And guess what? You may be cool, but I'm hip. <laughs> I mean, you just—you know—you got to have the, uh, you get an attitude from it, and the attitude you can beat those guys down. That's why I have no problem negotiating with CEOs. Some guy'll go into some guy's office and you know, will huff and puff, and I'll explain to him, "Hi, you know, I founded this company. I hired the first CEO." Let that sink in for a minute. It puts the status position very clear. So you got to use your power once you get it. But it's there. When you have an idea, you have the only... your Creative people are what this whole planet is about. And creative, it doesn't have to be a great creation, but if you execute on, on, on it... Any other questions? Because I owe this lady money. Yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah. But it sounds
1: like what you need to do is you, in terms of getting being able to talk to people and you kind of have to concretize it a little bit. You have to actually you know, have something that you can pitch effectively and maybe you're borrowing a page from the venture capital side of things by having a pitch that's not for your venture capitalists or the elevator pitch, but it's for your customer. You're, you're making a proposition to
0: that. Well, like. let, let's pick something to make an example out of. Pick something that's an absolute abstraction. I want to make the world better. That's Al Gore. I, well, you know, okay. I want to, I want to Well, oh, great! I want to invent a way to get rid of hangovers. Okay, that I want to build a business doing that. Okay, the first thing I would say then is that I have a methodology, almost in my hands, <laughs> of how to get rid of hangovers. In fact, pick a bad way to do it to start. Maybe you say, "I want to get rid of hangovers." Okay, there's a thing called Menudo. I'm going to repackage Menudo in a better package and make it more available and I'm going to get rid of more hangovers than anybody else in the world. This
1: is what I mean by country so You kind of flesh it out, right? So you yeah. come up with the pieces. It's not just saying I want to get rid of hangovers. That's a very high level meta type
0: idea. You have to go down you got to take action. Right, okay. And the action is, okay, gosh, does somebody else already do this? Take what they've got and just repackage it. That's a good place to start. <clears throat> but you, if you have this righteous conviction that you want to take, get rid of the hangovers, pretty soon some guy will come up and he'll tug on your pant like, you now, i got this little pill that I made. It's got, it's got blah, blah, and blah, blah in it. It could only be gotten in Borneo. And you say, well, wait a second. Oh, oh I've got to hang up. It works. Pal, we're in business. And then you have a new product line. But you the you, thing is, even with this high-level idea, you've got to execute on it. Execution is, and you may not be able to demo it. It, it doesn't matter. Can you get somebody else's mind to wrap around it? Can you go to some guy, a pharmacist, or a bar, or something like that, and say, look, if I could come up with a little packet like this that would get rid of hangovers, do you think you would sell it? And the guy would say, sure. Can I, what do you think it would be worth? And what do you think it should look like in the package? And how can we put it in pretty, You walk out of there 20 minutes later, you've got a product concept. You can draw a picture, you, so far you don't have any chemicals. Oh, great. Great. They're easy get. You go on the web, get, get rid of hangover. And uh, the first ones may not be great. Yeah. I just That's the point I was trying to make about a demo earlier. The the demo is your way you thought it should be done, not the customer's way it should have been done. So you're probably going to throw it over your shoulder anyway when you go to your first customer. These people that I was at the rice thing with, they had never demoed their thing. And so they were asking people, they wanted half a million dollars. Some clown's going to put up half a million dollars on an untested theory? I'd like to meet him. (laughs) I've got real estate in Alaska and bridges in New York. We can do lots of things together, but, 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 do, but take action. That, the key is that once you've got an idea, t- move, start moving. Tell people. And the best way to get yourself stuck in having to keep going is to tell people, because now you're going to be shamed if you drop the ball, <laughs> so you, can, you willfully use other people to keep you motivated. If I come up to you and say, oh, I'm going to turn out a, a better cell phone, blah, 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 I suddenly have all these expectations here. I better do something about it. Really it. Work. Shame works. <laughs> it does, it does. Great stuff, shame. And it probably worked out, out well. It <laughs> Did I it work well? It, it, they usually do. Take a simple idea and just move. Move. and move The way you move, in most cases, you just tell people you're going to do it.
1: Okay, thank you. That's an important differentiation. Like, as opposed to, like, a fully implemented demo versus just, like, a picture
0: of your demo. You know, it's great if someone gives you $100,000 and you can write the software or build the machine and go out and demo it. But it's going to be wrong anyway, so why not save the money and... Find out what you want first. Okay, is there any other questions? Yeah. yeah. What? Can
1: you tell us a little bit
0: about like, patent? You want to buy my dinner? Yeah. Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and ask me. What was
1: your experience on filing like, patent when you realized that this idea became not and that it was a patent?
0: Well, uh, let me explain about, uh, here's 30 seconds, uh, two minutes on patents. Um, the U.S. government rewrote the patent, patent law seven years ago and created a thing called a provisional patent. A provisional patent is a spectacular device. <clears throat> um, what was needed was a way for people who had ideas to talk about them and not give, make the idea public so that they would lose the rights to claim on it. So the government said you can write a provisional patent. And here's what you do. is You write your idea down, whatever it is, as crudely as you want, and put it in an envelope, put, it in a, put in a stamp on it, and put a $105 check in there, and send it to the U.S. government. The U.S. government says you have a provisional patent for one year. You can say patent pending on your idea and your thing. We don't know what it is. We're not even going to open the envelope. We don't care. It's not, you're not applying for a patent. You applied for provisional at the end of that year, you have the right to convert it to a utility patent. Then you go out and you get a lawyer and uh, you write a real patent <clears throat> and it costs you twenty to $30,000 and it takes four years. Um, or you find that the idea is not a good one and you simply throw away the $105 investment you made and go on to the next thing. Um, patents are usually best used for investors. Because most investors don't understand how weak a patent is. Uh, since I make a living out of going around patents, I'm very used to the idea of guy me this patent, oh yeah, we go around this way and we can go around this way. Well, this way it costs $70,000, this costs $100,000. And we go around it, and we go on, and we create a new patent that covers just what this guy did. And the people who had the original patent, they go, la, 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 that's our idea. Well, it's not our, your idea because we moved the screws over here. We made this do that, and this is. And the main things you had written in your claims, we don't do. So the the trick with I don't, you don't have to read the pat. Oh, All I read the claims. I'll sit and actually understand the claim. I can read that legalese, and so in my mind, I know what the guy actually said. So he and he had to constrain himself to get those those claims. So there's always a way around the outsides, but investors like them because the uh, IP is your first asset. It gives your product some appearance of being able to last a long time. By the way, typically a patent takes four, five, maybe six years to get, and by then your business is gone. <laughs> you, you probably sold it. You know, three, at three years, four years. You've got thing running. Everything's happy, and you sold it. And there's those patents haven't been adjudicated yet. <coughs> no one knows. Who cares? It doesn't matter anymore because because the, the money is flowing. The patent's important before the money flows. Once the money flows, ooh, then everything else is kind of secondary.
1: So, Barry, what you're saying is that the national protection value of the patent is minimal.
0: It's all up here. A patent's most powerful time is as a provisional because nobody knows what it says. And if you don't know what it says and you don't know what it claims, then if I were to go encroach on, let's say Albert, I found out you have a provisional for building round glasses, and I wanted to build round glasses. My problem is I don't have a clue as to what your patent really says, what the government granted you. I may go build a glass that has corners, edges like this, and it may turn out in your patent that's covered. Oh, gosh, guess what? Not only do I get sued for doing that, but I get, you get uh, triple, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, damages on me because I knew you had a patent on it. See, t- definition of triple damages is, did you know the guy had protect- protection? if if i hadn't didn't know you existed and you suddenly came out of nowhere i could then you could only go for damages but if you knew if i knew you knew that i if i knew that you then i'm i'm exposed so the the time that you use provisional and oh by the way at the end of the provisional you get to rewrite your claims so everything you learn over the year you now get to sweep back into the patent when you write the actual patent then for the next four or five years while the patent's being prosecuted, we still don't know what the patent is because until the guy, the patent office says, I give you these claims and I deny you these, and you and your uh, attorney argue with him, and you do like I have done, my very first patent, I actually went to Washington, D.C. and sat down and had lunch with the patent examiner and explained it to him. He gave me a whole bunch of things. So they're just human beings. (coughs) So (coughs) anyway, the... um, uh, that, the, the patents are, are interesting to have, and uh, you need them in the beginning, but uh, they're really nebulous. Nothing to worry about. Questions? Let's break
1: it up, and then if yeah. you yeah. Around yeah. Theory,
0: you okay, yeah. okay. My only last thing to say: execute, do. A entrepreneur is sitting on his ass is an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. See you later. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to Boot Rap. I'm Brian Master. This content is copyright 2006, Bootstrap Network, all rights reserved. Our thanks to Charlie Crow and the PodSafe Music Network for our theme music.